0: On uh, the telephone, Mark, good morning. How are you?
1: Good morning to everyone in Champaign. How are you all doing?
0: We're doing well. Visiting with uh, your Aunt Mary, and she is uh, reminiscing a little bit about uh, Coach Henson, and, and you'd like to do the same. Is that right?
1: I do. I am, I'm, good morning, Aunt Mary.
2: Good morning, Mark. Good to hear your voice.
1: Well, we're all morning down here uh, for Lou, Craig and Don Vizani. Bob Scully, Lou Perrano, my sister Kathy, my wife Kathy, and myself. It's really been a tough time for all of us.
0: Well, it's good to hear uh, from you, and I know you have uh, some words that you'd like to, to speak to our audience.
1: I do. I invite you to sit back, relax, and listen to my words. I hope it brings catharsis to you. This is going to be a celebration of the essence and goodness of Coach Henson's life through my eyes. What a great life it was. The one thing that you can say for sure was that he had had a positive, profound positive effect on thousands and thousands of people. This is a huge part of his legacy. When you think of Coach Henson, the two schools that come to mind are Illinois, where he won 423 wins, and New Mexico State, where he won 289 wins, the winningest coach of both schools. And his name is on both basketball courts those are the last statistics you'll hear from me today because there are a lot more important things to talk about i am representing his memory today with wearing his orange windbreaker that he wore for 21 years at illinois he always had he was always cool to the touch and he's always had the windbreaker on and his favorite new mexico state aggie baseball cap when he gave it to me he said mark it's really really sharp I sit here as a 68-year-old man, quickly thinking back to June 1967 when I was 15 years old. I was staying with my Uncle Lou and Aunt Mary and their family in Las Cruces, New Mexico, for the summer. He came out of the basement of a dilapidated Williams gym one day with a basketball under his arm. That day changed my life forever. He demonstrated to me that day how important backspin was on the basketball when you shoot it, and the rocker step, which is an offensive move to get your shot. Later that summer, he showed me the crossover dribble and the reverse dribble. I was hooked and worked to become a skilled basketball player with very limited athletic ability. That summer, however, and the next two, I was exposed to different ethnic groups for the first time in my life, and I really, really liked it. You could characterize my basketball playing days by saying I was a big fish in a very, very small pond, but basketball appealed to me and coach gave me an opportunity to work for him on three different occasions. My story, however, is not unique. Joe Lopez, Keith Colson, Rob Evans, John Burgess, Ed Murphy, Tony Yates, Les Whitkey, Bob Hall, Jimmy Collins, Dick Nagy, Mark Beal, Russ Bradburg, Tony Stubblefield, Thomas Trotter, all assistant coaches that could get here, what I'm doing, and tell their story about coach, how coach helped, to shape their lives and their careers. We all know that Coach was unwavering in his loyalty. He would do anything to help our careers. We also have grad assistants and managers who could get up before you as I'm doing and do the same thing. The success these groups have had after Illinois is truly amazing. A small sample size is our 1989 group. Brian Baker's in charge and the desk front desk newsman at Channel 2 Sports in Chicago. Scott Nagy is a head coach successfully at South Dakota State and currently at Wright State going to the NCAA tournament every other year. Dr. John Giannini is a division three national champion at Rowan, had a great run at Maine and LaSalle, and is currently an athletic director and TV commentator. And of course, Jim Phillips is one of the top, if not the top athletic director in the country. And in two years, he's going to be the head of the NCAA selection committee for basketball. All of us have always had a comfort level working for Coach. Coach Nagy once said, when you work for Coach Henson, you know you will have a job and win because you know he knows what he is doing. Winning was always in Coach's DNA. He worked for five athletic directors at Illinois in 21 years and upset. Coach had some very, very strong character traits that created a foundation for his continued successes throughout his career. Number one, he always put his family first, and the family always supported him. Everyone knows that Aunt Mary and Lou were made to be a basketball couple. She loved him dearly, supported him unequivocally, and defended him against all detractors with all her might. And believe me, Aunt Mary has a lot of might. Louis Ray, who we lost too early, Lori, Lisa, and Leanne were all adored by their father and themselves sacrificed much for his career. The transition for the three older ones from New Mexico to Champagne in 75 was difficult at times. He dearly loved his grandchildren, great-grandchildren. He was unbelievably gracious to Mary's brothers, sisters, nieces, and nephews, and she likewise to his siblings, nieces and nephews. In 1975, when Coach had an opportunity to go to Oklahoma or Illinois at the same time. He chose Illinois, and the Brantners, Mary's family of Northwest Illinois, had a 21-year run revolving around Illinois basketball, which made our family very strong. Number two, he had a strong work ethic both on and off the court. Itchy Jones would say baseball players were grinders. Coach Henson was a grinder. He only needed four hours of sleep during the season, and he kept coming and coming and coming at you. He never stopped working. Number three, he demanded execution of fundamental basketball on offense, defense, and special situations. Practice makes perfect was his goal. That was his motto. You don't think Ken's Norman shot at Wisconsin in 87 or Andy Kaufman shot against Iowa or Nick Anderson shot against Indiana happened by accident, do you? We practiced those things. He always had number four, an emphasis on time management. He wanted to be... On time to class to study hall to practice he always thought it was important for everybody in the program coaches secretaries trainers to be on time everybody's going to have a boss someday and they want you to be on time and lastly his greatest strength and dave doris before he became a trustee was following our team closely said every year you show us something different this is his greatest strength and i agree with him was in his flexibility in looking at the game and putting the players in the best position to be successful both on offense and defense. Different styles for different teams is what I say. How can you explain his first year, the Miracle Midgets at New Mexico State? They were in the 40s and 50s and 60s. They went to the NCAA his very first year versus three years later when he had the great Jimmy Collins, Charlie Chris, and Sam Lacy. They were in the 90s and the 100s, and they ran and they pressed, or the 1984 Illinois team. One game away from the Final Four, getting beat in in Rupp Arena. They were methodical, walked the ball up the court, defensive, tough, hard-nosed team, versus the 89 team, the flying lineup, where we were in the 90s and the 100s, had 127 points at LSU, and we pressed and ran. Please, make no mistake. Coach was sometimes not a warm and fuzzy coach to play for, to work for. He never used profanity, but he could make a player feel two inches tall with his admonishments, whether it was sloppy ball handling, whether it was bad defense, whether it was bad team play, poor shot selection, coach would get after you. He was old school from the Hank Iba School of Basketball. Players and coaches alike learned details were very important. He set the example for all of us and expected every player and coach to do the same he utilized these four mentioned points to become a great builder of downtrodden programs and believe me coach never took a program on that was very good at the time he did and made them all into champions his first las cruces high school after taking the job shortly thereafter he won three straight state championships hardin simmons was his next job abilene texas back to school in the middle of the Bible, Bible Belt. Hard job for sure. He interviewed for the job. They offered him the job. But there was one stipulation that was non-negotiable before he would agree to take the job, and that was he had to integrate the total program, coaching staff and players. They thought about it. They allowed him to do it. He brought in the first Hispanic coach from Las Cruces, Joe Lopez, and he integrated the program. Harden Simmons, can you imagine today any 30-year-old high school coach turning down a college job because he demanded the school allow him to integrate the basketball team and essentially the school? Hall of Fame recognition came for coach in 1997. Here are the words that are on the plaque. The color barrier was broken in Hardin-Simmons athletics for the first time when Coach Lou Henson brought to the 40 Acres two junior college transfers from Oklahoma Junior College Okalana, Oklahoma, Mississippi. Nate Matkins and Art Haynes were the first black players to don a cowboy uniform. Those were the words in the plaque. He was a true trailblazer 58 years ago when it wasn't fashionable to do it. Fairness and giving people opportunities were always ingrained in green and coaches' soul. His third job, New Mexico State, 4-22 and the year before he took it. His first team, the Miracle Midgets, upset the University of Texas Western, who had won the national championship the year before. They beat them twice, and they had Big Daddy Latin at the post, three starters back. New Mexico with the great Mel Daniels. They beat them. Oklahoma City, Abe Lemons was the coach of top-10 team. They beat them. They went to the NCAA tournament and in the first round, the great Elvin Hayes and Don Chaney from the Houston Cougars got beat 59 to 58. Shortly thereafter, coach became the athletic director, built the Pan American Center and went to the final four three years later. His fourth and final team in 1975, the most difficult of any of the previous jobs by far. Why is always the question the coach came to Illinois over Oklahoma. Part of it is Mary's family, but the other part is coach's coach's appetite for competition. If you've ever watched him, like dominoes, gin rummy, bridge, five hundred, checkers, recruiting, scouting, game planning, or games themselves, Lou loved competition and loved how to figure out the way to win—a way to win. The Big Ten at that time. 1975-76 was by far the best conference in the country. That appealed to him. Illinois had some major, major issues however. They were not far removed from the slush fund. They had back-to-back last place finish, finishes in the conference with him being the third coach in three years. The Illinois Basketball Coach Association was mad at Cecil Coleman because they didn't he didn't hire a high school coach. The Chicago coaches were upset because when they came to Champaign-Urbana in the state tournament, they didn't feel like they were treated fairly. The AD was a very frugal man. We had limited, limited facilities. There was no student group, no Orange Crush, no adult group, no rebounders. And to make matters much worse, Lou Olson was establishing himself at Iowa, getting top players out of Illinois like Ronnie Lester, Michael Payne, and Kenny Hardy. And to the East, Bob Knight was winning national championships with players from Illinois like Quinn, Rich, Quinn Buckner, Isaiah Thomas, getting Glenn Grunwald, Derry Holcomb, Marty Simmons, et cetera. Our first year we were very competitive. We beat Michigan in front of 5,000 people when they had the great Ricky Green and John Robertson from Chicago Hirsch. They got second in the country that year at Indiana. And Purdue when we beat them and ended their 13 game winning streak. By year four, after Illinois beat Michigan State, they were off to the races. When I came back in 1985, I thought I was on another planet. The common denominator throughout the 21 years was always Coach's expertise in his recruiting and his coaching and his great PR. Lastly, two personal traits that I thought were extraordinary about Coach. Number one, his patience and his being genuinely nice to people. And number two, his ability to forgive and forget. On point one, I have witnessed him giving hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people his time with conversation, photographs, or autographs. Going to visitations, funerals, or hospitals to see people he didn't know because of a phone call was standard operating procedure for Lou and Mary. His presence lit up the bowling alley, the bridge center, the Esquire, the nursing homes, and assembly hall whenever he was there. He and Aunt Mary are truly the most hospitable, generous people that you could ever imagine. The second trait deals with his uncanny ability to forgive and forgive. During his college coaching career, especially at Illinois, sports writers, fans, broadcasters, and yes, even players themselves, would say or write very uncomplimentary things in newspapers and books, or on radio, television, or podcasts. Coach was a man of great faith. We know where he is today. He never held grudges. He was once quoted after he and Coach Knight had a verbal confrontation in Champagne by saying, you have a flare-up, and then you go on. I've never been one to hold grudges. Coach believed, as Jesus taught his followers, to reject revenge and retaliation. Instead, he told his followers to turn the other cheek. A great lesson he practiced in life, being gracious to people and turning the other cheek, is the depth and the strength of Uncle Lou's life. The basketball has stopped bouncing for Uncle Lou. He is now united with his son, Lewis Ray, and my mother, Rebecca, who we lost seven months ago. That is a very comforting thought for me going forward. The great era of, the great era of Coach Lou Henson in college basketball has come to an end with his passing, but it will never, ever, ever be forgotten. Thank you.
0: Mark Coombs, thank you. Very well presented, very well thought out and written. We appreciate that. Uh, Mary has some uh, final words to say before she moves on, and we appreciate your time this morning, Mary, but I know you have a lot of people you'd like to to thank.
2: You know, Steve, well, first, Mark, that that was just a, a very touching tribute to Uncle Lou. And you did it so well. That was wonderful. Thank you for that. Um, But I wanted to use this platform this morning to thank the community in general for the wonderful outpouring of love they have demonstrated. Uh, All through these 17 years that Lou has been ill, we i i can't tell you how how wonderful people have been to us with the kind words and <clears throat> every every people have done things for us that i just can't imagine people thinking of doing even um but the other uh, so thank you to everyone thank you to everyone who has who has uh, made his life uh better and believe me you have and you know who you are uh we had great medical care the physicians and the nurses and the uh therapists and the caregivers and all of you oh my goodness you have just uh pulled together to give him 17 more years. He was stage four cancer 17 years ago. And all of you, your efforts to, to care for him, heal for him, heal him, are, oh, so greatly appreciated. And he would love to be able to tell you himself. But I'm doing it for him. Thank you for making Lou's life in these last few months, uh, a wonderful, uh, comforting time for him. And he died a a very peaceful death. And we are so uh, glad that he deserved to be at peace. Uh, And we absolutely will cherish every bit of kindness that has been shown us and treasure your friendships throughout the years. Thank you, everybody.
0: Many of those people learned that type of kindness by watching how you and Lou operated in in your marriage and the way you handled life and uh, the ups and downs. So uh, I I thank you right back to you, Mary.
2: Thank you, Steve.
0: Anything else, Lauren?
2: Well, I think uh, think Mark pretty much... uh, said what all of us would like to be able to put in words. He has
1: a great career and a great life, and we're going to miss him.
0: We thank you for your time. We'll let you go. I know you've uh, been very busy, and uh, it's always good to see you, and we hope to see more of you.
2: Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Lauren. All right, Mary. Thank
0: you, Addie. That's Mary Henson, everybody, and Mark Coombs as well. We'll take a break, and we'll continue our show. We're on both stations, WDWS, WHMS, Light Rock 97.5. We're back with more. We'll talk more about Lou Henson and other news of the day after this. Stay with us.